You are listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast, an honest and non-judgmental discussion on faith in God and the doubts we often have, why it's sometimes difficult to trust God, and how we can know with a surety that He loves us. This show centers on strengthening and rebuilding our faith after loss, tragedy, or when coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. Now, here is your host, Gene Curl. Hello, and welcome back to Recovering Faith Podcast and Blog. Well, uh, actually, for those of you who usually read the blog, I apologize that there's not going to be a blog this week, because uh, as anyone who listened uh, to last week's episode knows, uh, I had a fairly significant injury, and it makes it so I can't really type. And if you're squeamish, or you might want to fast-forward the next 15 seconds or so, but uh, what happened is I was working on my house, and I was remodeling my house and putting in a laminate floor, and I had already cut the piece in my table saw, and then I I shut the saw off, and I was reaching to get the piece, the guard wasn't down on the saw all the way, and so I reached to pick up the piece, and I got my finger in the saw while it was still coasting. And there's blood everywhere. And so I looked at the end of my finger and saw that I had cut the end of my finger off, and immediately my first thought was, well, this is beyond my expertise. So I went and grabbed a washcloth and quickly put it over it to cover it to stop the bleeding and then I uh, called and uh, had somebody take me to the emergency room and uh, the emergency room doctor quickly determined I was going to need a surgery and they uh, sent me to a hand specialist and so I had a surgery last week but it'll be weeks or possibly months before I can have full use of my finger again so it's yeah it's crazy and I'm going to wind up paying more to for my finger remodel than what I'm spent on my upstairs remodel and with the exception of just before I had a root canal even when I include the time that I was run over by a car I've never been in as much pain as I am now, as I say, with the exception of uh, some dental issues. Well, last week I posted about my misfortune on Facebook, and one of my friends, who has apparently made it his mission in life to convince me that either there is no God or that God is malevolent, first made fun of the situation, me and God, by saying that I should have said, Jesus, take the hammer. After I mentioned that it was, in fact, a saw and not a hammer, this friend suggested that it was outside of the scope of um, uh, God's influence or out of the scope of influence for Jesus to take the saw. 
When I mentioned that while Jesus loves me, he doesn't always stop me from doing stupid things, my friend said, quote, In your studied opinion, would you say that's because he's unwilling to use his omniscience or adhere to an all-loving behavior, or perhaps unable in either of those? It's a serious question seeking a direct answer. I then asked if he truly wanted an answer or if he was only hoping to use something in my answer to criticize Christianity. From previous conversations, I knew the answer before I even asked, and I know that the primary goal is to try to get me to doubt God, and that, as always, this friend is listening to respond and not listening to learn. Still, even knowing that, I will attempt an answer that will make him question his atheism, though I know that only God will ever be able to change his mind. And I know that I know it's possible um, as people who are more educated and who were more staunch atheists than this friend have come to the knowledge that God is real. But it was a massive undertaking in their life. They didn't come to it lightly, and God had to do some miraculous things in their life to get them to, to that point. So, no, I don't think that I'm going to convert anybody to Christianity. I don't know for a fact that the friend in question will listen to this, but I suspect that he will. And if you are listening, I want you to know that, regardless of your motivation for doing so, I sincerely appreciate it that you're listening. I know that you're a busy man and that you likely have more important things to do than listen to me talk about God, or at least by your estimation you have more important things to do. Uh, but I imagine that you feel that you have more important things to do than listen to me talk about God for half an hour or however long it takes. God is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-loving. So why didn't he stop me from cutting my finger off? Uh, I don't presume to know the mind of God, but from the Bible, I can put forth some possible and probable reasons for his apparent lack of intervention. First off, God gave me the wisdom and the intellect to know how to be safe while using power tools. And it is in no way God's fault that I chose not to do it, or not to uh, implement those safety measures. I was impatient, and I was working when I was tired and when I shouldn't have been. Uh, it was past 11 p.m. when I hurt myself, and I had been at it since about 6 that morning. And so the fault is mine and mine alone. As the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Well, God can give me wisdom, but he can't make me use it. Well, time and time again, the Bible tells me to be patient, and I was not being patient. I was trying to get this uh, remodel project done as soon as I possibly could. I had a uh, agreed to rent out the room, or one of the rooms upstairs, 
and the young man who was going to rent the room was supposed to be moving in soon, and so I was trying to meet that timeline. And anyhow, but if I had gone to bed instead of staying up late, I wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have hurt myself, and I still would have got it done because uh, after I cut my finger, I really didn't get anything else done. I mean, I I really wasn't capable of working on the house anymore, so. Uh, this young man moved in where it was at. Anyhow, um, it is unrealistic and ungrateful to expect God to stop every bad or unpleasant thing from happening. And if nothing ever happened to us, then we would never learn. Of course, it would probably also be a mistake to assume that the reason God allows us to do something or allows something to happen to us is to teach us a lesson. The question posed is, why, if he is all-knowing and all-loving and all-powerful, does God allow bad things to happen? I spoke about that in great detail in an earlier episode titled, if God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And I will put a link to that in the show notes, and I would strongly encourage you to check it out. Um, so I'll just briefly talk about uh, this subject today, since I talked about it in great detail in an early episode. But while I'm trying to be brief, I will also try to be as accurate and thorough as possible. The specific question was why God allows us to do stupid things, and while the answer is sometimes that we are meant to learn something from the experience, sometimes the answer is that our actions will, at some future date, positively impact us or others. But mostly it's because God gave us the free will and allows us to choose our own actions. And despite the fact that we can choose our own actions, we can't always choose the consequences of those actions. God does love us, he loves us all, and he would like all of us to love him in return. But God wants our love to be genuine and therefore must allow us the option of not loving him. No one in his or her right mind would want to be in a relationship with someone who didn't truly love them. No one in his or her right mind would want to be in a relationship with someone who didn't truly love them. And... If a person only thinks they love someone because there, weren't, there was no other choice available, then it's not real love, or it's probably not real love, and they might as well be a computer. The term love would be meaningless if we didn't have a choice whether or not to love, and our actions would be meaningless if they were chosen for us and we only did what it was decided for us that we would do. Uh, I don't know anybody who would think it was fair to judge a person on something they didn't do or reward them for virtuous acts that they failed to perform. If God had designed this world in such a way as to make it impossible to sin, we could not say that we follow God because we love him, as following him would be the only choice. And we couldn't say that we love others because we don't hurt them if being kind were the only option available. Imagine how crazy it would be 
to reward a person for following the law. But the only reason that they didn't break the law in the first place is because we locked them up before they ever had a chance to break the law. And that we never gave them the opportunity to break the law. And they, so uh, then we're, because we forced them to not break the law, we're rewarding them for not breaking the law. That's kind of ridiculous. Well, that's kind of where a lot of people seem to want to put God, that they want to make it so that we don't have the possibility of sinning and we don't have the possibility of doing anything wrong. And then, after he made it so it's not possible for us to sin, he's supposed to reward us for not sinning. And that idea is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. It's kind of like everyone is a hero who would rush into a burning building to save a child until the opportunity to be a hero arises. Then the majority of people forget about saving the child and they forget about everything else except for preserving their own life. That's why you have a lot of people before a fire or a major event talking about how they would be heroes and how they do such and such, but then when, when something actually happens, they start running over other people and pushing other people down and trying doing everything they can to get out of the building because they're not as cool under pressure as they think they would be. And sometimes it takes real experiences to know how we would actually act. Yes, God already knows what each of us will do long before we ever do it. But when we are judged or uh, when we are judged or when we're rewarded, it will be based on things that we actually did, not merely things that we might have done if given the opportunity. And we will know that we are that what we are given is fair and just or rather that the method by which we are judged is fair and just. Uh, what we get, if we believe in Jesus, what we get it isn't actually fair, it's just, but it's not actually fair, because of the glory, uh, because as it says in Romans, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we all deserve hell, and none of us deserve heaven. But, if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will strive to live a life pleasing to Him, and as a natural result, we will be kind to other people, and we will be judged on the merits of Jesus and not on our own merits. And we will be granted heaven, which we don't deserve. And while it will be just since Jesus paid the price for us, it won't be fair. Uh, what would be fair is for each of us to get what we deserve, which would be to go to hell. But since Jesus paid for our sins, we can go to heaven instead. And so it's just because the price was paid, but it's not fair. Uh, even the best of us are not good, and we all need Jesus. Now, I have a few atheist friends who think it's cute to say, I promise that when I die, if there's a God, I'll give him a chance to explain himself before I judge him. My response is always, and I promise it won't go down like that. One of the many possible reasons that God, in his infinite wisdom, chose to allow me to run my hand through the saw is that had I not injured myself, I might have gotten involved in a situation that would have killed me. Or, you know, so being injured could have kept me out of a different situation. It could have been worse. 
But since I'm not all-knowing, I can't see what my injury has or may have caused or, or what it has kept me out of or may have kept me out of. Another possible reason that God allowed me to hurt myself is that in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. And years down the road, the few weeks that I was inconvenienced will be nothing more than a memory. Whatever the reason God had for allowing me to do something stupid, and this is far from being the only stupid thing that I've ever done, His intent was not to cause me pain. God does not derive any kind of pleasure from seeing his children suffer. And he never does anything without a reason. God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and neither are his ways our ways. And just because we don't understand why God does something doesn't mean that we should attribute evil intent. Uh, There was a time before I came back to faith when I thought I was wondering why God let uh, bad things happen to good people and why he let good things happen to bad people and anyway but there was that I was sitting there camping and and uh, I was having a campfire and there was this tree limb of this of this uh, downed tree and it caught fire and realized that their ants had made an hail over part of this tree limb and the fire was starting to reach toward the ants and I realized that if I let it burn it was going to burn up all these ants. So I decided to not burn the ants and so I grabbed the down tree branch and I drag it away from the ant colony and toward the fire. And I got thinking about that and I thought from the ants perspective they didn't know they were going to burn and so from the ants perspective I just destroyed their home for no reason and possibly killed some of the ants but from my perspective I saved a bunch of them because I kept the fire from burning them and so we can't see why God does uh, does things we don't see what he sees and so God is always good, and we shouldn't think that he's evil uh, or that he's negligent because he didn't do what we thought he should do. In the Bible, in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34, we read the story of Paul and Silas when they go to prison. And it said, it says, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owner as a fortune teller. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar uh, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midday, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners' doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, and your household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him and, all, and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And yeah, what goes on from the story is that the next day the magistrate realized that they were imprisoned falsely and he ordered them to be released. But my point in bringing up that story is that if Paul and Silas had not been falsely imprisoned, then the jailer and his family would not have been saved. And yes, I know that none of this will satisfy the staunch atheist because they are completely unwilling to accept the possibility that anything other than their worldview may be true, and everything that I say about God or the Bible they just view as a fairy tale. But either in this life or the next, everyone will realize that not only is God good, or not only is God real, but that God is good. The only question is, will they partake of that goodness or refuse it out of spite and heaven along with it? Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, for my friend, if you're listening, I hope this is a satisfactory answer. Though, um, and I fully anticipate that you will try to tear down every argument I make because that's kind of your prerogative. So um, just know that it's not going to make me doubt uh, my faith in Jesus. Um, I just hope that when I, uh, that you will follow the path of, <coughs> I just hope that you will follow the path of uh, least trouble and, you know, study everything you can about Christianity to try to disprove it. And in the process, follow the truth to wherever it may lead, which will ultimately lead you to the uh, truth that Jesus not only was real, but that he is God. And um, thanks you all for listening, and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. Please rate and review this show and share it with your friends and family. You are loved.